All right, part two, Revelation 13, 13 to 15, uh, lying signs and wonders. Uh, this false prophet will be given power to do many lying signs and wonders. It says he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. Now, I, I like this, uh, this use of language by John. You can almost hear the exasperation in his voice. He says, so that he even makes fire come down out of the heavens. Uh, this is kind of funny because, uh, actually, we'll get there. Um, I'll remind you when we get there. First, mm -hmm. false signs, uh, Matthew 24, 24 to 25. Uh, we see that uh, Christ says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, even if possible, the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. He's basically saying, I'm warning you. People are going to come. They're going to claim to be Christ. They're going to point towards false Christ. Um, and they're going to use signs to confirm this. But uh, the confirmation doesn't come from the signs. It comes from the message. These false Christs and prophets are also spoken of in Mark 13 um, in more explicit language that points towards our passage here in Revelation 13. Um, this is Mark's account. He says, then if anyone says, behold, here is the Christ or behold, here is uh, he is there. Do not believe him for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. This was important enough for two gospel writers to record. Uh, the unholy spirit, this antichrist, again, when we looked at who the antichrist is, I made mention that First uh, John speaks of the antichrist. And this is the only place in scripture where this compound word is uh, pointing towards a singular uh, person in the future called the antichrist. It says, children, it is the last hour, and just as you have heard that Antichrist, that's an Arthurus, that's pointing towards a, uh, the singular, that, that is a singular Antichrist pointing towards a singular uh, person in the future. So just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that it is the last hour. And the function of Antichrist, as John defines him, says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. That is the purpose of both uh, the false Christ and the false prophet. So we call them, or I like to call them the Antichrist duo. But the one that John's speaking of is specifically the prophet, uh, the one who points towards a false Christ. There's two ways to understand this anti. Uh, in the Greek, it can either mean in place of or it can mean against. Um, there's more contextual evidence for it meaning against. And that doesn't mean that this Antichrist uh, is the false prophet, but the false or the Antichrist, the false Christ that uh, we have identified as the Antichrist, we just misinterpreted 1 John 2.18 and brought this title of Antichrist onto the man of lawlessness and not the one who points to the man of lawlessness. But uh, it's so well contextually understood or um, culturally understood this term antichrist, that it would just be confusing um, to use that title for the false prophet and not the, um, the man of lawlessness. Um, you have that other verse too about the angel of light and it talks yeah. about him as the liar too. Uh -huh. So that kind of goes together with that. That does. That does. Uh, the, 
angel of light, they will come looking like um, apostles, but they're false apostles. And in fact, that's also an argument that uh, that John will make here uh, in First John. I don't know if I have these verses, but he says uh, they they uh, appeared to come from us, but they left us. And because they left us, we can be sure that they are not part of us. Um, John says it a lot more. Uh, uh, yeah, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Yes, thank you. Uh, and we know that they didn't belong to us because otherwise they wouldn't have gone out from us. Um, so he's saying uh, here that uh, this false prophet, he will look like uh, a godly man. Even he will look like an apostle. He will come with all the right signs, all the right words, everything. But uh, he is not actually, uh, he, he, he will appear to perform signs that are in line with God's signs. The problem is he's coming with a different message. Uh, and that really, I think when you go through the New Testament, especially the general epistles, um, Hebrews through uh, Jude, it's impressed on you so many times that it's not about the signs, it's about the message. First uh, John 2, 19 through 20 uh, shows us the Holy Spirit in contrast to this antichrist spirit says, they went out, oh, it is here. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown they are not of us. Now, here, John gives us a contrast. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. This knowing that he's pointing towards is the original message of faith that had been given to them by the apostles. Uh, in the message uh, that was uh, from the apostles. <clears throat> and in 1 John 4, uh, we are given uh, aid in understanding how we understand truth, how we test the spirit. Um, so this is what we've been driving at. It's not about the signs, it's about the message. So in 1 John 4, 2 to 3, we see, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. So the Messiah has arrived, and along with the Messiah arriving, arrives this false messiah this false antichrist um, that is pointing towards pretty much anything besides christ he will point and say look here is a christ or look here he is uh, satan was unable to thwart jesus christ from saving the world but he is uh, still working very hard to keep the world comfortable so that they are not looking for this christ but the Holy Spirit is working on the hearts of unbelievers. The church is present in this world, and the more Satan tries to persecute the church, the uh, stronger the church grows because we don't grow in our own power, but in the power of Christ and through the Holy Spirit. So he is unable to conquer this unwanted, um, well, cancer is the wrong word for our terms, but <laughs> Satan would look at the church as a cancer on his earth, and he wants to purge that cancer, but he cannot because so the earth belongs to him in authority. Um, it does not belong to him by right of creation. That belongs to the king of the universe, which is God. So this false prophet is identified. We get the name false prophet uh, from verses 
later on in Revelation, especially Revelation, 13, Revelation 16, but also again in 19 and 20. Uh, so right now in Revelation 13, he's just called the second beast, uh, but here he will be identified as a false prophet when we see this unholy trinity at the destruction of, uh, or in uh, preparation for the battle of Armageddon. It says, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out of the kings, out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the almighty. Now, this is another uh, verse that some who believe in the, uh, resurrection of both the false prophet and the false Christ. Uh, they believe these spirits of frogs are the demons within that have reanimated these two characters. However, that would not explain why one comes out of the mouth of the dragon as well. Uh, these are, um, well, I haven't studied this out enough other than in the context of, uh, of it not really being great evidence for this being a resurrection of the two beasts. Uh, these unclean spirits surely are demonic presences within uh, the body of those two personalities, uh, but probably not the spirit which reanimates them, because that would mean that at this point, the false prophet and the uh, false Christ would die or appear to die. These spirits that animate them leaving their bodies, but we still see them present after this uh, in their bodies. So we know that whatever these frogs are that are departing from the bodies uh, of these three characters are not what animates them. <clears throat> All right, so here's what I was laughing about when it's uh, when I uh, saw John say they uh, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven. Well, this is something that John sought to do uh, in Luke 9, 54 <laughs> through 56. He says, uh, or it says, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Uh, and you can hear their excitement, but Jesus <laughs> says he turns around and rebukes them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Uh, so James and John were called the Sons of Thunder. Uh, and they do have quite fiery personalities throughout the gospel. And that is one thing I love about John's writing is because when we read the gospel of John, first, uh, second and third John, and even Revelation, we don't get the sense of John as being a very fiery personality. He's calm, he's reserved, he's very black and white, uh, which uh, we see is consistent in his personality. But it's amazing what the gospel does to someone. Uh, that it would calm them down to be way more focused on love in the body of Christ than they are in uh, bringing fire down on the unbelievers. Uh, so uh, the gospel does amazing things in hearts, and uh, John is yet another example of that. But uh, I'm sure when he's watching this false prophet, he's thinking back to Jesus Christ's words when he says, you don't know what spirit you are from. Uh, because now he sees this in a prophetic vision, and he sees the spirit that Jesus Christ could see at that moment. Um, and in that context, so they rejected him. The Samaritans didn't 
like the fact they're going to Jerusalem and they can't yeah. say hey the Jews. So exactly. it was it was a cultural, you know, <laughs> as much as a spiritual. Yeah, it wasn't uh, necessarily even a rejection of Jesus. Jesus, no. it was a rejection of what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it was pretty self-serving that they, they wanted were, to call that fire on. They them. really hated Jesus. They did. <laughs> well, the Samaritans and and the rest of Israel really did not get along, and that has to do mostly with. Uh, culture and bloodline during the diaspora or the first diaspora in the 400 silent years, uh, the Assyrians had put a lot of foreigners into Assyria or into um, Samaria so that the Jews would look at Samaria and say they're not really Jews. Uh, but the, the culture of Samaria had grown up apart from uh, Jerusalem in these 400 intervening years. Um, to where you you get these interesting uh, interesting interactions like Jesus with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, right. um, who wants to know which which mountain are we supposed to worship on, and Jesus, rather than solving this cultural issue for her of uh, do you like Samaria or does God like Samaria or Jerusalem better, mm-hmm. uh, he says there's coming a day when you won't uh, worship in a temple, but you'll worship in uh, in spirit. And in her village accepted that we know. Yeah. Yeah. And you actually see a lot more Samaritans accepting the gospel than you do um, the religious hub with the Pharisees and the Sadducees um, in Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, when Jesus Christ returns to Jerusalem, I think it's in Matthew 11 and 12, um, he rebukes them pretty harshly um, for not having received him when he came and says that even Nineveh, uh, Will fare better on the day of judgment than they will. Right. It's well, yeah, very harsh. It's a good Samaritan, you know. Yes. He, <laughs> I mean, made, he made them look good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he he was definitely uh, one who didn't who didn't appreciate much self boasting, um, but humility. Tried to break down. Yes. That division. Right. Yeah. Trying to break down the cultural divisions. Um, and the uh, those who would elevate themselves, like the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, so coming back to Elijah, we remember that the false prophet will uh, will be in a similar power structure as a prophet like Elijah, where his power comes from uh, the one who's in authority over him. Uh, we see that in the same way, the false prophet will point back to the one who gave him authority. And that's the same thing that the false prophet will do. He will point back to um, the beast who gives him authority. But in 1 Kings 18, 36 to 37, we see this same sign being performed by God's servant, Elijah. It says, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifices, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel. And that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. Uh, Elijah, though, uh, occupied for a brief moment with uh, justifying his own uh, ministry. He's not interested in justifying his own ministry, even for his own purposes, but because he is the instrument of God. We see um, two different, or it's uh, two, one, and two, 
where he says, show them who you are, show them who you are, show them who I am. But in order that I point back to you to show them who you are, show them who you are. Um, Elijah is incredibly preoccupied with uh, directing back to the one true God of Israel and showing that he um, is the one who does these powers. And it is in his name that Elijah has come. Uh, this is also similar. Oh, oh shoot, I missed it. All right, well, in uh, 1 Kings 18, 38 through 39, we see that the Lord does uh, send fire down to consume the sacrifices. And because this fire comes down from heaven, uh, Elijah is able to point towards the prophets of Baal um, and say, see, they are not of God. Uh, destroy them. Uh, these two prophets uh, who came in Revelation 11, uh, we saw them a little earlier. They also have this power uh, over fire. Uh, they are given fire from their mouths to protect themselves as they witness for God uh, and point people towards God. So it says these are the two olive trees, the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouths and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. Now, their ministry on the earth is very important because uh, they are the cause of revival. They're probably uh, two religious leaders in Jerusalem prior to the tribulation who were the first or very early converts to Messianic uh, Judaism because it appears that they already have a great understanding of the word of God in order to point others towards God. Um, so these will probably not be two uh, randoms off the street of New York or something. Uh, these will be two religious Jews who become convinced that Jesus Christ fulfilled the Messianic promises, but they will come to this conclusion a little late, uh, not prior to the rapture, but after it. Uh, but in any case, they fulfill these this prophecy of two prophets who will come uh, performing similar miracles to Elijah uh, that are able to point the now unbelieving world or generally unbelieving world towards Jesus Christ who came already. Uh, and he, they will cause a great revival. Uh, if you want more information about that, you can go look at Revelation 7 uh, to see the results of their preaching. Uh, and also, we've already done our video on that, so hopefully I'll remember. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yes, there will be 144,000 uh, from 12, the 12, 12 tribes of Israel that will be sealed for the purpose of uh, serving God by preaching his word. The, con uh, the conversion of these 144,000 uh, uh, Jewish male virgins in Israel will probably come from the preaching of these two prophets. They're going to be Nazarenes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they could. Uh, so another thing that uh, this, these, uh, this fire that the false prophet calls down from heaven, uh, it is a parody of the Spirit's baptism. And we know that the Spirit came to give life. Um, John identifies the baptism in the Spirit that Jesus Christ will bring us a baptism that brings life. In Acts 2, 2 through 3, where we see this spirit baptism take place, we see that it comes in the form of tongues of fire. It says, 
and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues as of fire uh, dis uh, distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them uh, so again if you remember when uh, jesus said uh, to john you don't know what spirit you are from uh, it was because they are seeking to destroy life but jesus did not come to take life but to give life but to give uh, a better life which is a life lived in the spirit and a life of regeneration through the spirit that we have the feeling of the spirit that we are promised glorification when we see christ uh, face to face we will be like him it says and this is the promise uh, that we have because the spirit indwells us so in acts 2 uh, where the spirit comes as tongues of fire. Uh, this is the, the uh, holy purpose of God, and Satan parodies this uh, in a blasphemous way. <clears throat> so finally, we do have this analogy of Job, uh, where we might wonder why is Satan able to do all of these terrible things in the last days? First, we want to remember that this period of the wrath or the tribulation is not the wrath of Satan. It is the wrath of God on an unbelieving world. Uh, but Satan will be allowed a free reign. And this is one of the divine instruments that God uses for his wrath is that mankind who has constantly sought to worship anything but God, uh, even in choosing inanimate objects to worship, uh, God essentially turns them over and says, all right, uh, if you want to worship him, worship him and see where it gets you. Uh, here we have the analogy of Job, and Job didn't even uh, worship uh, false gods, false, uh, yeah, false gods like they do uh, during the period of the tribulation. But even still, God allowed Satan to have a larger sphere of influence over the life of Job in order to test him. So in Job 1.12, we see then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. And we see that uh, it was given to Satan that he would be allowed to destroy with fire uh, part of uh, Job's belongings. He says, while he was still speaking, another came and said, the fire of God from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and i alone have escaped to tell you uh, this was fire directed by satan but it didn't come from uh, satan rather god gave him permission uh, to use this fire and that uh, seems strange to us but god does uh, things beyond our understanding and it shouldn't be that strange to us uh, especially if we don't stop in Job 1, but we read all the way to the end of Job, uh, we see that um, Job's testing through fire uh, produced much richer, much greater eternal rewards. Uh, and that should be what we're concerned with is eternal rewards, not temporal rewards. All right, we see that this antichrist is a deceiver, uh, just like the one whose authority he comes in, he is a liar says he deceives those who dwell on the earth. Remember, that is a technical term for those in rebellion against God. He is not able to deceive those who have put their faith in God, but he is able to deceive those who have not. 
um, because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Uh, so these signs are the means by which he deceives many who have not put their faith in God to put their faith instead in Satan. Uh, and uh, he tells them after they have uh, believed his lies, believed his signs, believed that this one to whom he points is the Messiah that will save them, then he gives them a command. Uh, he belongs to them and their souls, uh, and so he commands them, and he says uh, to make an image to the beast. Uh, and this beast, we see again his evidence why, why he should be an object of worship for them, and that is because his wound, the wound that came by means of a sword, uh, has been healed and he has come to life. Now, if you remember in uh, 13.4 and also then in 13.12, we saw that he had a wound that was healed, a fatal wound that was healed. Fatal does confirm that he died and that the wound was healed. This confirms that it wasn't just a simple healing, but that he has come back to life. Um, if you remember in our last, uh, last videos, we looked at uh, the similar use of language that John has for the death and resurrection of Christ as he does for the death and resurrection of this Antichrist. And that is to show that uh, Satan is parodying this uh, resurrection of Christ, the resurrection that we put our hope in and that uh, has the power to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Uh, Satan uses to trick and to deceive. And when they put their hope in him, they are sealed to death and not sealed to life. And this, uh, this image to the beast also has an analogy in the Old Testament, and that is the image that Nebuchadnezzar orders to be created in Daniel 3. Uh, now, this, interestingly enough, comes after uh, Nebuchadnezzar is given a divine dream of his own supremacy over the Gentile powers of the earth in chapter 2. Then in Daniel chapter 3, he has this image erected of himself and... Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego refuse to worship it, and so they are cast into the fire, but they are rescued by the angel of the Lord. Uh, then we see in Daniel 4 that Nebuchadnezzar's hubris reaches a climax to the point where God has to humble him uh, by making him uh, like a beast for seven years until he acknowledges the one true God of heaven. So we see a lot of analogy there um, in the first few chapters of Daniel to this uh, final world ruler. But here in Daniel 3, we see an image erected that uh, they have to worship or else they uh, risk fatal consequences. It says, then the herald loudly proclaimed, to you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. This was a global command. Again, he was the world ruler at the time, though it didn't extend over all the territory of the world it did extend over the entire known world at that time. That the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. So we see a similar command and a similar consequence under Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and this... Uh, this points us, I believe, towards 
this final culmination of the Gentile power uh, that rules the world, and that will be the government of the Antichrist. <clears throat> and uh, so as it begins, so it will end. Uh, this image, it says uh, the false prophet was, it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now this word uh, to be given, this is the same Greek word as is used in the Hebrew in Job, where God gives Satan permission to act in a sphere that's not normally his to act in. Um, and this is used continually then um, in chapters 12 and 13 about the divine permission that is given to Satan to act uh, in ways that he's not been permitted to act before. And uh, this has to do with the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit in the earth uh, today. In 2 Thessalonians 2, we see that the restrainer holds back the man of lawlessness. When this restrainer is removed, God will allow Satan to uh, to exercise more of his supernatural abilities than he's allowed to exercise today. One of those will be to, uh, to give breath, to give pneuma to, uh, to this image. Uh, this word pneuma means spirit, wind, and breath. It's the same pneuma given to the, uh, to the two prophets that are resurrected by God after three and a half days after they were killed by the Antichrist. Um, but for them, it's pneuma zoes, which is breath of life. This is just breath given to this, uh, given to this creature. It will have the form of life, um, but it will not have life as it is given by God. Um, similarly to the resurrection then of the Antichrist, where it will have every appearance of life. And in fact, we in a human way would even define this as life, but there is still something lacking. Um, from the life that God gives. Now, uh, my crazy, wild interpretation of this, uh, call this newspaper exegesis, if, if you will. Uh, but I believe uh, as we progress through, uh, through the ages, it becomes more and more clear that something like this is very possible. Uh, but it's not going to be possible in the realm of mankind. There will be need of a ghost to enter into the machine, and that will be a demonic uh, spirit that will uh, give life to this image. Uh, so it may be that the, the spirit or the life given to this is a demonic possession of a machine, demonic possession of, uh, of this image. Uh, so uh, when you read your newspapers and you see all this stuff about AI, I was looking at some newspapers today and it was talking about rights that AI should have, whether or not they should have rights to uh, patent their own inventions. Uh, it was deemed, no, they cannot because uh, they are not humans. However, even corporations have been given rights as personages. Uh, so it may be that uh, there will come a time where we come close enough in our AI where it will be uh, we will be able to look at this and say it's almost lifelike, uh, but there will be a special demonic uh, empowerment, a demonic pneuma that is given to this idol, and that will be uh, what gives it life. Uh, now, let me go back to that verse just a bit. 
uh, it does say that the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, this subject, the beast, is the subject for all of these subsequent verbs, so that it's not the false prophet that causes those who don't worship to die or to be killed. It is the image. The image of the beast is the one which has the power to kill those who do not worship the image. Uh, so, uh, scary stuff. And uh, that's one reason why I think it does have to act semi-autonomously, but by the power of Satan. Uh, it does have to have the ability to both deal a death sentence and carry it through, at least within the text. And the text is what we go by because that is what we have, and it is the inspired word of God. We do our best to interpret it, to understand it, uh, but that does not mean we do a perfect job of that. So that is my best understanding in this day and age of what that might look like. Uh, so these lying signs and wonders, and the second beast will be given the ability to perform signs by the power of Satan, and these signs he will be given to, uh, to perform indiscriminately, where today uh, his actors are restrained, though there are occult uh, miracles, they are uh, really restrained from what they could be uh, if Satan's leash were taken off. Uh, these signs will far exceed those which God has previously permitted. The rebels of the earth will believe the false witness because of their signs. False prophet will animate an inanimate object, uh, and this inanimate object will direct worship towards the first beast uh, and uh, be able to give death sentences and carry those death sentences through to those who do not worship. Uh, so this time it, it kind of feels like a Russian stacking doll that Satan gives the power to the first beast, the first beast gives its power to the second beast, the second beast gives its power to the uh, image that he creates. Uh, but they are all pointing their, uh, their object of worship back towards Satan ultimately. Mm -hmm.